Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to More Than Amuse podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome to More Than Amuse. I'm Sadie. And I'm Stani. And welcome back. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We are talking about Disney princesses today. We are. We're tapping into the childlike nostalgia. And I am excited. As a child, I definitely had three Disney princess posters up on my wall. Ooh, which one? So ones? I was a big Disney princess girl. It was ones with like all of like the original. Oh, like, okay. Stuff. Did you have a favorite though? I was a big Aurora fan. Oh, Sleeping okay. Beauty. Yeah. Yep. She was my favorite. Were you ever a Disney princess for Halloween? Oh, yes. I'm pretty sure I was Aurora, actually. I think that was the only one I actually ever was. It must have been our age range because I was also Aurora. (sighs) Man. (laughs) I was a big Aurora fan and I had an Aurora Barbie doll as well. But before that, it was all Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. That movie is still so good. I know. It's still my favorite. The only reason I like Aurora was my favorite later was Mm -hmm. because someone in elementary school told me that Ariel couldn't be my favorite Disney princess because I didn't look like her. Oh, I know. And I was so broken hearted about it. And I was like, well, then I guess I'll choose Aurora. I used to be a lot more blonde. <laughs> Same. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm the very typical. I'm blonde. It's like, no, you were blonde when you were seven. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really count whatever your hair color is now. <laughs> yeah. And both of us have it dyed darker now. So, yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I remember picking Aurora because I she had blonde hair and I liked her pink dress. Were you ever a Disney princess for Halloween? Aurora. There we go. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know we connected over this. This is so cute. But then in high school, I did do princess parties, and I got a chance to be a lot of them. I was low-key jealous that you did that. You I mean, like, it, it was something I could have done, but... Yeah, it was, was very time-consuming. Exactly. I was doing too many other things to also yeah. add princesses to my resume but you know it looked it fun was fun though i did ariel a lot mm-hmm. turns out i had a great face shape for ariel so <sighs> shame on that girl in a montreal school who cares if you don't have red hair you have the face I shape know. that's all that matters yeah so i ended up being ariel a lot i think i did bell quite a few times and then i mm-hmm. did snow white quite a bit because she's got the cute little round face and Mm -hmm. that's very fitting (laughs) amazing yeah and i think i I remember you doing that punzel once or twice but then frozen hit and i ended up only being elsa for like a year until that's all anyone wanted it was fun kids love it i remember the only thing was like being really intimidated though they'd be like sing let it go and be like don't sound like Idina Menzel no I will not be singing I will sound a little bit different yep well if anyone out there has also been a princess let us know let us know who your favorite childhood Disney princess was definitely I feel like you can like tell a lot about person when it's like who was your Disney princess and yep 
Mine was Aurora. Well, I'm excited to talk about the people who voiced these women. There's a lot of Disney princesses at this point, so we're kind of focusing on the original ones. Yeah. From Snow White to Mulan. And then if you love this, let us know and I we can do a part two. We can do part two. And of course, a lot of these Disney movies now have live action versions of them. Yeah. And so we've got even more women that are being represented as the original Disney princesses. But Definitely. there was one night that I was up really late and I couldn't sleep. So I turned on Beauty and the Beast for nostalgia's sake. And then I was like, wow, Belle's voice is beautiful. Who is this woman? And that is what Love inspired that. this topic idea. Before we dive in, I wanted to talk a little bit about how we have a Disney princess lineup. Yeah. Because this is something that I was just like, wait, someone thought of this. Someone was like, hmm, there is a money-making opportunity here to line up all these (laughs) Disney princesses in a row. Yeah. And I wanted to know who it was. No surprise, it was actually a former Nike executive. Wow. Yes. He was appointed president of the Walt Disney Company Disney Consumer Products Division. (laughs) Say that five times fast. (laughs) In December of 1999. And he went to go see a Disney on Ice show, which... These were huge. I think they I, still kind of are, but like they, they still have in them. The 90s. But yeah, I went to one. I was counting down to my Disney on Ice show for weeks, right? months. Yeah, which if you've never heard of them, it's basically like they put on a show with Disney characters, but literally but figure skaters. They're, yeah, they're yeah, figure they're skating. Nice. <laughs> Incredible, right? Like they're in full costumes. They've got all sorts of stuff going on. But he noticed at the show that there were several young girls who were dressed up in princess attire. But it wasn't like authentic Disney merchandise because I don't even think they were like oh. making princess costumes at that mm. time. No way. Okay. So they were just like these generic princess products that they had turned into their own little homemade costumes that like resembled the different Cinderella. Disney princesses. And he was like, wait a second, we should do something about this. Like not only so they have like legitimate dresses, but like mm-hmm. the whole money. market here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disney like, loves making money. They do. He was like, there's so much to go into this. There was a lot of people that were really not excited about the idea of like a legitimate Disney princess franchise because they were terrified that mingling the characters together would weaken their individual stories because it'd be like oh this isn't plausible like Snow White and Moana can't exist in the same universe but, I mean they already do they're all Disney's yeah like, like, it was like they're all weird. at Disneyland it's not yeah. that crazy <laughs> but that's why in a lot of franchise photos, the characters don't mm-hmm. make eye contact with each other. They're oh. all looking off into the distance. Yeah. And it's to try and keep their individual stories intact. So they're like all there together, but they're like not interacting together. Mm-hmm. Obviously that changed with Wreck-It Ralph. But I was just going to say <laughs> that scene from Wreck-It Ralph was like all of my childhood dreams coming true. Right. I want a Disney movie that is like with a, all of them yeah like that that is actually my dream is a disney movie with all the original disney animated princesses interacting with each other in their original personalities going on some kind of adventure it would be amazing that is my dream yeah and i know a lot of people there's like little comics you can find or people yeah. have like come up with different scenarios of what it would be like if they were all interacting like mm-hmm. it's obviously a thing for a lot of people so i don't think they had anything to worry about but yeah <laughs> uh, it would be really cool 
The original lineup had princesses Snow White, Cinderella, Tinkerbell, Aurora, mm. Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, Esmeralda, and Mulan. Oh, I did not shout um, out Esmeralda in this episode. That's okay, that's because point, Tinkerbell though. was removed. Yeah, I was going to say, and Tinkerbell wasn't in any of my yeah. childhood posters. So, so the way franchises work, they have like a whole thing where they all fit within a group, right? Mm-hmm. And so Tinkerbell ended up being removed, and she went on to headline the sister franchise, Disney Fairies. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. that's with all of the fairies from the Disney fairies movies. So, and like, those books like were my, also and, my favorite as a child. And they're the cutest movies. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen the Disney fairy movies with Tinkerbell, like go watch them. They're very they're nice. so cute. <laughs> yeah, they really are. They also removed Esmeralda. I think like that movie, honestly, it's like kind of dark for me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's what's that one song he sings like Hellfire? That's, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's some dark themes. <laughs> yep. And so I think if the movie's not as popular, a lot of the times the characters just aren't. And so mm-hmm. Esmeralda wasn't as popular and they ended up moving her as well back to her own franchise. So they launched the Disney Princess line mm-hmm. officially in 2000. They didn't use any focus groups beforehand. They didn't oh. have any marketing that they like really did. They just like went for it. Wow. And before then, Disney consumer products had only generated about 300 million. But by the end of 10 years, the division's revenue had increased to $3 billion, making it the top seller of consumer entertainment products globally. Wow. Disney princesses were something that they really shouldn't have worried about betting on. Okay, but this goes to something we've talked about over and over and over again on our podcast is that everyone forgets that women and little girls want things too. And that if you're neglecting that whole, I don't know, population of the planet suddenly when you give them something they're gonna be like oh cool i've wanted this the whole time it's Mm -hmm. just it's like oh we're taking a crazy bet making this for little girls of course of course they want to dress up as the disney princesses i know it feels like common sense yeah Yeah. and like i'm so glad he noticed and was like oh they're already dressing up like maybe we should like do something about that sell the costumes ourselves (laughs) like duh they also licensed to Hasbro for games, Mattel for dolls. That's why we have the Disney Princess Barbies. Also, I loved collecting the Polly Pockets of oh. the Disney Princesses. That was my favorite. I don't know if it was like official that. like Polly Pockets, but yeah. they were basically they had little Polly t- Pockets. I loved them. I love that. I mm-hmm. always loved looking at the dolls of the Disney Princesses. Oh, it was so too. cool with all their little accessories and everything. It was my favorite. Mm-hmm. They even have the Fisher-Price plastic figurines of Disney Disney princesses yeah the uh little people yes so that's just fun (laughs) obviously the lineup has changed a little bit now they added Tiana in 2010 Mm -hmm. and she was the first one added in quite a while you notice from Mulan to Tiana there was quite a dry spell no Disney princesses Mm -hmm. so she took the ninth spot then Rapunzel was added and both of those actually got their own coronation ceremony in Disneyland that is nice. <laughs> it's very cute. They have that it in front cute. of Cinderella's castle. They have all oh. of the Disney princesses attend, and they literally put a little crown on them. That is so cute. Play music. <laughs> very cute. The last one that had a coronation ceremony was actually Merida in 2013. She was also the first Pixar character. I was and just going to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first Disney princess that doesn't sing. Yes. That's also a funny line from the Wreck-It Ralph scene where she goes off in her, you know, very strong 
Scottish accent and they're like we don't know she's from the other studio and I think (laughs) that's pretty funny (laughs) it is funny they've also added Moana but she didn't have an official coronation ceremony I don't know if that was like problems with COVID and then it was just like too late because she was mm -hmm. added to the lineup in 2019 that probably makes sense they probably had it planned for 2020 yeah but then it just like didn't end up happening but she's officially a part of the franchise and then they announced most recently in 2022 that raya from raya and the last dragon will oh, be cool. included i'm imagining um, that elsa and anna are staying 100 percent their own thing because that probably brings in enough revenue by themselves <laughs> yes a lot of people would include on and elsa in this they are not included because frozen is such a lucrative yeah they don't need to franchise yeah Yeah. they don't need any help they don't need the disney princess name behind them they're doing great on their own (laughs) they probably are out selling the disney princesses let's be honest yes which is really funny though because if you work for a company that actually does licensing through disney Mm -hmm. you can get the disney princess merchandise line Mm -hmm. but that doesn't include frozen frozen as a separate bid ah yeah so it's a whole other team of people a whole whole other thing like very funny and interesting to see that happen so something you may not know that is cool I, yeah I didn't know about all that and how they became official things to be grouped together that's cool yes so that's a lot and obviously there's been a ton from that like people have whole product lines on Disney princess mm-hmm. franchises there's like the Disney fairy tale wedding gowns that were designed by Christy Kelly ah. <laughs> listen I'm not a Disney adult but like I could be one. I don't I, really blame people who are. Like, yeah. I get that it's cringy, but I'm like, listen, <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind like, of magical. It's pretty magical. Like, if you grew up in California and you were going, like, all the time, like. Pretty magical. Kind of get it. Like Last time always... I went to Disney when I was, like, 15, but I'm like, kind of want to go again. Yeah. I kinda went right after fun. I graduated from high school, and it was a nice uh, little tie-up to childhood. That, wow. That is poetic, my I friend. Know. I felt great about it. I would mm-hmm. go again, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah, you can meet all the Disney princesses at Disneyland or Disney World or there any of go. the Disneylands abroad. And now we get to actually talk about the voice actors and, like, the legends <sighs> yes. behind the characters. Amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to jump in with the original Disney princess, which was Snow White from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So... This story is crazy. The voice behind Snow White, her name is Adriana Elena Loretta Casalotti. She was born on May 6th of 1916. She was an American actress and singer, of course, and was the voice, like I mentioned, of the first Walt Disney animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And she was actually named a Disney legend for this in 1994, making her the first female voiceover artist to achieve this, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. So in 1935, she had, after her brief stint as a chorus girl and a session singer at MGM, Walt Disney actually hired her as the voice of Snow White. She was paid a total of $970 for working on the film, which is equivalent to 18000 in 2021. So like roughly between eighteen dollars and $20,000 is what she was paid. It's not that awful. Yes, but also I feel like with the amount of money that Disney made from that role. And continues to. And continues to. I'm actually really curious of how that works with like voice actors and royalties and things like that if they continue to use your voice and everything. I actually don't know the details on that. Any voice actors out there know how they usually like negotiate those deals. I'd be very curious. But anyways, the crazy part is that she was not 
credited for the role and she had trouble finding new opportunities after and later in her life. Jack Benny specifically mentioned that he had asked Walt Disney for permission to use her on his radio show and he was told from Disney, I'm sorry, but that voice can't be used anywhere. I don't want to spoil the illusion of Snow White. Hmm. So because of that, she couldn't really work again because Walt Disney wouldn't let her. But also nobody knew who she was. She wasn't like wildly credited and celebrated. There's a New York Times article on her, which is cool. Fun fact, she was 18 when she got this. As the company recounts it, the studio had been searching for a voice that was ageless, friendly, natural and innocent for Snow White, who would introduce the world to the song Someday My Prince Will Come. Ms. Casalotti got a recommendation for the role when a Disney casting scout asked her father, a Los Angeles voice coach, if any of his students had a voice beguiling enough for the role. More than 150 singers had already auditioned. Among those, Ms. Casalotti beat out was the actress Deanna Durbin, apparently. In a 1993 interview, she said that she was paid $20 a day to sing and read the lines for the role, the total of $970. Here's a crazy quote from it. It said, they had told me that it was going to be a little longer than their shorts, which were 10 to 12 minutes so i thought it would be 20 minutes long or so i didn't realize what had happened until i went to the premiere i saw all these movie stars marlene dietrich carol lombard gary cooper everybody was there i discovered this thing was an hour and 23 minutes wow can you imagine you're like oh i just did like a short little walt disney animated film and then you're like oh this is a full-length feature (laughs) yeah that is actually crazy and i guess the rate was she was paid 20 dollars a day for her work on it and that's just what it ended up being it ended up being $970 because I Mm. guess it only took that many amount of days interesting okay yeah but what I think is so crazy is that after it she really did have such a difficult time finding work after this she only had two more jobs in the film business the first was another uncredited role in actually the Wizard of Oz where she provided the voice of Juliet during the Tin Man song if only I had a heart where there's like that line wherefore art thou Romeo in the middle of the song I like need Uh, to go listen to that I know I don't necessarily remember that but again she was uncredited and then in 1946 she had an uncredited role in It's a Wonderful Life singing in Martini's Bar as James Stewart is praying these are huge huge movie moments too Snow White Wizard of Oz and It's a Wonderful Life I'm like give her some credit throw her name on the credits like what the heck it's crazy she appeared in several promotional spots for Snow White's and the Seven Dwarves and signed memorabilia during promotional events in I think this is like later on because you know she showed up to the premiere not even knowing what was going on which is annoying because I'm sure that was definitely like she was really young she was 18 and so I'm sure they were like Eh, she'll do it she doesn't need to be I know we don't need to make this special for her Disney though and them knew what it was gonna be because it was their first length Mm -hmm. full feature and that was probably like before huge movie stars kind of yeah like that's before the big starlets of like right like this was the 30s oh then yeah it would have been before movies were like really huge so they probably didn't even maybe even know themselves but on november 22nd in 1972 which is thanksgiving she guest starred on an episode of the julie andrews hour which i thought was cool and she sang i'm wishing and someday my prince will come with julie andrews which is lovely shout out to our julie andrews episode go check that out she also made a guest appearance on the mike douglas show and she later wrote a book actually called do you like to sing later in her life she would sell autographs and sang opera she performed in Rigoletto in the early 1990s when the Snow White 
grotto at Disneyland was refurbished, she, at the age of 75, re-recorded I'm Wishing for the Wishing Well exhibit, which, which I think is, is amazing because cool. it still sounds exactly like Snow White. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's cool. And then is 1994, like I mentioned, she was named a Disney legend. So even though they did not give her the flowers she deserved, I think... Yeah. Without, you know, being in these literally like the biggest movies of all time and not being credited. For some of them, obviously smaller, like The Wizard of Oz. It's like the one little voice moment in the Tin Man song. Besides the point, though, mm-hmm. it was uncredited. And it's the one of the biggest movies of all time. Both of them. Crazy. That's insane. To tell a little bit about the story of Snow White, mm-hmm. a lot of these early ones were adapted from, I'm sure many people know, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales that mm-hmm. were written in Germany by the Brothers Grimm. This one specifically was published in 1812, and it was basically just called Snow White. However, the Brothers Grimm apparently weren't the original authors and there's like some controversy on there there's actually two sisters named Jeanette and Emily Hassan Hassanflog that say that the story actually came from them but this is like a well-known oral story that's been around forever like there's versions of the story that appear in Ireland England Asia Minor and Central Africa and it's just the idea of like a beautiful daughter and a wicked stepmother and her trying to kill her and then Mm -hmm. like true love's kiss you know like very very classic yeah (laughs) like the typical little fairy tale things so West Africa's is called The Beautiful Daughter. There's actually a play by Shakespeare called Cymbeline hmm. that's believed to have been kind of like the early Snow White. A Fatima from Albania, The Feather Daughter from Gabon, and The Innkeeper in Portugal. Oh, cool. So obviously there's some differences. The Brothers Grimm story is a lot more gruesome. As per, yeah, <laughs> that's the trend, I feel. <laughs> yeah. But to be fair, the Disney version did keep the detail of her sending out the huntsman to bring back Snow White's heart. Wow. Which is pretty morbid for pretty a morbid. children's movie. <laughs> I remember watching that as a child and being like, yeah very shocked by that it was appalling (laughs) but i also remember being like of course she would she's evil yeah she's gonna send her out her heart and then there's like obviously a lot of different ways that she tries to poison snow white it wasn't always an apple but that is like the most common one now Mm -hmm. in the end of the traditional tale the queen comes to the wedding of snow white and the prince and then finds out from the mirror that she's no longer the fairest and then they force her to wear red hot iron shoes and dance until she can't dance anymore but falls down dead. Oh, horrible. So <laughs> even though a lot of other Disney movies are more liberally adapted from their original storytellings, this one's not that crazy, actually. Like, mm-hmm. there's a few things that are different. They obviously took out the gruesome death of the queen, but she does die in yeah. the other one. Well. She just falls off cliff. So it's just kind of interesting how they were able to keep this one so close yeah interesting the next one is cinderella with eileen woods her name is jacqueline ruth woods born may 5th of 1929 obviously better known as eileen woods and she was an american actress and singer her mother actually worked behind the scenes of films and would take woods with her as a little girl though she actually dreamed about becoming a school teacher but her mother wanted her to be a singer which is funny because usually it's the The other way around yeah (laughs) And then in 1944, she gained her own radio show. And during World War II, she would tour with Paul Whiteman and the Army Air Forces Orchestra, which is 
I think really cool. In 1948, two of her songwriter friends, Mac David and Jerry Livingston, called Woods to record Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes, and So This is Love. And soon the songs were presented to Walt Disney so that they could be used in the version of Cinderella. Walt Disney heard the demo recordings and two days later asked Eileen to voice the star role of Cinderella, which of course she gladly accepted apparently she had won against more than 300 people who had audition this is a really cool interview about it she said seeing it in its new form was breathtaking for me it's so beautiful the color is magnificent it just took my breath away it was so wonderful i sort of forgot when i'm watching the movie that i had anything to do with it (laughs) yet it brings back so many beautiful memories of working with the wonderful artist and working with walt mostly it brings back wonderful wonderful memories which I think it's really cute. Actually, to promote Cinderella, she voiced Snow White in the 1949 Disney audio release book of Snow White, which is interesting because it's like if he wanted to keep the voice of Snow White so pure that they wouldn't let her, you know, go on a radio show. I don't know why they wouldn't have like. I don't know. I don't get it, but it's okay. (laughs) Other cool things she did is she sang for President Franklin D. Roosevelt at his home in Hyde Park. She also sang at the White House for President Truman. And then she retired from show business in 1972. What is actually interesting, and a couple of the other women I mentioned that happens to them, is that Walt Disney began really leasing video cassette versions of its animated films. And she was actually one of at least three actresses to file lawsuits over royalties for their performances at the time of wood's december 1999 filing peggy lee who was in the voice of lady and the tramp had won her lawsuit and mary costa who i'm going to talk about very next from sleeping beauty her lawsuit was still pending so i thought that was interesting i guess that wouldn't have been included in their original contract because no because it wasn't invented yet Exactly. (laughs) And then another shout out is that the voice actress Jennifer Hale actually replaced Woods as the voice of Cinderella in the 2002 film Cinderella 2 Dreams Come True. That film is cute. It is really cute. So shout out to Jennifer. And then in 2003, she was awarded a Disney Legend Award for her voice work. In an interview in 2006, she said, I love the idea that after I'm gone, children will still be hearing my voice as Cinderella. Which, and they still again, are. Really cute. Um, mm-hmm. To the story, Cinderella is another one. Classic tale, so many different versions. Mm-hmm. This one is actually probably the most retold story, which is no surprise from how many movies we have of, like, the Cinderella story. Like, people mm-hmm. are obsessed with this story. It's a good story. It is a good one. It's estimated that there are at least, at least 345. People believe that it's actually more like 1,500. Yeah, I was going to say 345. No way. There's yeah. so many more. Obviously, the most familiar we are with the tale is Charles Perrault's version, which was written in 1697. Wow. So been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But the most commonly accepted first telling of Cinderella is actually called Rodophis, which originated in Egypt. Wow. But get this, the story of Cinderella was first recorded in the century, oh, it doesn't have the number, but by the Greek historian Strabo. 
So that's clear back there. So this story has that been is around forever. Yeah. yeah. It's not restricted to Europe, much like Snow White. There's even like a very popular Chinese version from 1860 AD. Crazy. And the core of the story remains very much so the same. Like mm-hmm. the death of her mother, her father remarrying another woman with two daughters. She's tasked with all of the chores, including those in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And then when the ball is announced, she attends with her fairy godmother's help. You know, usually involves some magical objects of some kind. And the story, the original story by Charles Perrault, the ball was held over more than one night. Yeah. And so it wasn't until the second night that she like falls in love with the prince and almost doesn't leave in time. And that's when she drops her shoe. And it ends the same as the movie with him finding her and her foot fits perfectly in the glass slipper. I'm glad that one at least originally has a happy ending. (laughs) Yeah. The Grimm's fairy tale version is different. I don't know why they made them more morbid. Were they like trying to make things more interesting? They give her like more impossible tasks. So she has like lentil beans that they throw into the fireplace. And don't they like end up like actually like cutting off the heels of the stepsisters to fit in the shoes. But then they see the blood and that's why they know. Yeah. If you think of the whole Into the Woods. Yeah, I was going to say. I feel like Into the Woods is pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah, like that's definitely it. Although originally, apparently in the Grimm's fairy tale version, they didn't give her glass slippers. They gave her silk ones. Ooh. So the blood would have been even more obvious, I guess. (laughs) Oh, wait. Okay. So it's like silk dress, silk slippers on the first night. Second night, it's silver dress and glass slippers. Mm -hmm. And then the third night, it's gold dress and golden slippers. Hmm. And that's when the prince puts pitch on the stairs to try and catch her. Catch her. Oh, yeah. But instead, he just catches her shoe. There we go. Yeah, lots of cutting of feet and stuff. (laughs) It's a retold story over and over again. There's obviously so many different variations of it. And I think it just goes to show that everyone loves the whole like rags to riches story Mm -hmm. or like if the shoe fits. So it's a very beloved, well-told story. 100%. All right. Well, next is Sleeping Beauty for all our fellow Aurora girls out there. She was played by Mary Costa. And this woman had a very profound career. I think with some of the earlier princesses, they were very much defined by the fact that like they were a Disney princess, but she did a lot. She was born April 5th in 1930. She was an opera singer. And that is kind of like what she was most known for. You can hear that. I feel like in Sleeping yeah. Beauty's voice for sure. Like, you know, the typical when she's through the forest, she's 100% an opera singer. But she was born in Knoxville, Tennessee and raised as a Baptist of Italian descent. And she would sing in Sunday school and started that at the age of six. When she was in her early teens, her family actually relocated to Los Angeles, where she completed high school and actually won a music sorority award as the outstanding voice among Southern California. And then following high school, she entered the Los Angeles Conservatory of Music, where she studied. And then between 1948 and 51, she appeared with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on the Bergen radio show. She also sang with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in concerts at UCLA. So like she was definitely performing. Yeah. In 1952, after meeting people at a party with her future husband, director Frank Tashlin, she auditioned for the part of the Disney's Princess Aurora in Sleeping Beauty. Walt Disney called her personally within hours of the audition to inform her that the part was hers, which I think is cool. Yes, so she was in that movie. After that, though, she went on to perform in 
44 operatic roles on stages throughout the world. She appeared on Bing Crosby's Christmas show on NBC TV. She appeared with Crosby and Sergio Franchi on the Hollywood Palace in 1970. She appeared on Frank Sinatra's Woman of the Year Timex special for NBC, where she was honored as one of the Women of the Year, which is really cool. Jacqueline Kennedy asked her to sing at a memorial service for her husband, which is crazy, being John F. Kennedy in 1963. And then wow. she sang for the inaugural concert of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in 1971. Like I mentioned earlier, when Disney began releasing video cassettes versions for its animated films, she was one of three actresses to file lawsuits over royalties of their performance, which, you know, good for them. She retired from acting in 2014 and has since dedicated her later years to inspiring children and teenagers. She gives motivational talks at schools and colleges across the country, which I think is really wholesome. She's also a celebrity endorser of childhood abuse prevention, but she also continues to do promotional appearances for Disney, most recently for the Blu-ray release of Sleeping Beauty on the 50th anniversary of the film, which I thought was really That's sweet. Really cute. And so many other things like in 2000, she was selected as the Tennessee Woman of Distinction. In April of 2001, she was honored by the Metropolitan Opera Guild for Distinguished Verity Performances. In 2003, she was actually appointed by President George Bush to the National Council on the Arts, where she served until 2007 which is crazy. She was also awarded an honorary doctor of fine arts, inducted to the Knoxville Opera Hall of Fame. Just so much recognition, which is really cool that, you know, she did get a lot of recognition nationally, literally by two different presidents during her life. So she, yeah, she's awesome. That's really cool. Okay, legend. This is another one that goes way back. It's only Mm -hmm. some of the other ones that are more recent. These ones are old. The first known story of Sleeping Beauty is actually, well, a Sleeping Beauty figure is clear back in the 12th century, and it's actually a Norse tale. It's called Volsunga, and it's this story about Odin's displeasure of a Valkyrie, Brunhilda, and he curses her to sleep until a man comes to marry her. And then this man named Siegfried comes and wakes her up by cutting off her arm. That's romance for you. Not kisses? <laughs> no. Oh, no. I guess that wasn't powerful enough for the... <laughs> I mean, I probably would be woken up by, you know... Getting your arm sliced mm. off. Yeah. But what they believe the most of the later story of Sleeping Beauty was influenced by is actually a French romance called Purse Forest, Hmm. written in 1528. And it was also reshaped again in another tale called Sun, Moon, and Talia that was written in 1636 Mm -hmm. by Giambattista Basile. That's basically a prince. He finds Talia, who's a sleeping beauty figure, mm-hmm. and he actually sexually assaults her. Oh. And then he later returns and finds out that she has woken up and gave birth to twins, the sun and the moon. And his wife, because yes, he was married, finds out about his second family and orders the cook to cook the kids. And the cook doesn't like that idea. And so she feeds the queen a goat instead. Apparently, the queen was going to eat the children. And then she thinks that she's serving her husband his children when she's feeding him the goat. And so he's, she tells him, you're eating your kids. And so he throws his wife in the fire only to find out his children are alive. And then he marries Talia soon after. So you can see why someone was like, wow, that would make a beautiful Disney tale. <laughs> 
Just kidding. I don't even know how that became <laughs> Sleeping Beauty, you know? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So basically what happened is people read this and they started writing their own versions. That's fair. Peralt wrote one called La Belle as Boys Dormant of, like, the story. It was very similar, but he renamed the children Aurora and Jor, mm. meaning, like, sun and moon, but a different oh, yeah. telling. And then the prince's wife was replaced by his mother, who tries to kill them. So, I don't know. Makes them the hmm. mother evil instead of the wife. I guess it's better if he's not married. I don't know. And then the Grimm brothers ended up changing it once again and writing their own version. And theirs is called Briar Rose. It's the tamest of all the other stories, which I guess when it's brothers Grimm, that's an accomplishment. Because it wouldn't have been that crazy for them to keep it. Mm-hmm. But it follows pretty much the plot of the movie. They brought in the Maleficent character of, like, the old fairy who's not invited to the christening. And then the king being unable to provide for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the curse and the gifts. And then her sleeping for 100 years for the prince to wake her. So when she's 17, you know, like, it's pretty much the story that we have now. And instead of sexually assaulting her, he just kisses her and she wakes up. Which a lot of people have been like, oh, that's not consensual. But I mean, looking at where it came from, I Progress. think a kiss is <laughs> a good yeah. thing. Yes. But they followed the story of the Grimm Brothers, but Disney wanted to pay homage to the original story in a way without including any of it because it was so horrific. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they ended up naming her Aurora and also why they call her Briar Rose when she's pretending to be someone else. That's alluding to the Grimm story. But then Aurora is calling back to Peralt's original Mm. And that is how we have that one. So much, much better in my opinion than the original. Literally much, (laughs) much better. Amazing. Well, this next one is Ariel with Jodie Benson. And a while ago, it was going kind of viral on TikTok of her singing it in the studio, Part of Your World. And it was a very magical video. I love Jodie Benson. She is like, first off, just an adorable human being. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you can't like look at a picture of her and not smile. Like she just, yeah, she's so cute. And then also she did all the introductions to the Little Mermaid film in the beginning on the VHS that cassette tape. Mm-hmm. And I watched that so many times. And when I was little, I didn't know it was her. <laughs> the, oh, like, you didn't realize? Yeah. Voiced Ariel. But like, I remember being so fascinated by her. She talks to like some little goldfish mm-hmm. in the opening sequence and then like introduces the movie. And she's just, she's literally like a real life Ariel. Oh, I love that. Well, so she was born 1961. She is best known for providing the voice of Ariel in Disney's 1989 animated film, The Little Mermaid. What I think is actually crazy is that she made her debut in the 1983 Kenny Ortega directed Marilyn, an American fable. And that's crazy Hmm. because Kenny Ortega is who directed High School Musical. So, oh, Good old Kenny Ortega, man. Just doing everything good in the world. But then she had other Broadway credits, including a starring role in the 1986 Broadway musical Smile, where she introduced a song called Disneyland, which is funny. And then in 1987, Howard Ashman, who was the lyricist of that musical, would go on to write the lyrics for The Little Mermaid. So I wonder if that's kind of how how she originally got that tie-in. In late 1986, she first heard of the audition for The Little Mermaid through 
the lyricist and playwright Howard Ashman. The two had just worked together in that Broadway show until its run ended early. He knew that she would be perfect fit for the role and that she would be a great replica of Ariel. After hearing the demo for Part of Your World, she sang a small part of it on tape where it was later sent to a Disney executives. Before her audition for The Little Mermaid, she was primarily a stage actress, of course, and it was his first Disney project. But then in early 1988, she won the role of Ariel and has been voicing her ever since, which I think is really sweet. Mm-hmm. Something fun, too, is in, in 1989. So I imagine probably just like right after, either right before that came out, she appeared in the Broadway musical Welcome to the Club alongside Samuel E. Wright, who actually performed the voice of Sebastian, <laughs> the crab in The Little Mermaid, which I thought was fun. She actually ended up receiving a Tony nomination for Best Actress for a musical Crazy for You. I'm not as familiar with that. She was also in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. With the narrator, that is a heavy role. Mm-hmm. On June 6th of 2016, she performed the role of Ariel at the Hollywood Bulls concert performance of The Little Mermaid. She also made a special appearance in ABC's 2019 live music spectacular, The Little Mermaid Live. She recently lent her voice to Ariel in the 2022 video game, Disney Dreamlight Valley, as wow. well as singing as Ariel on various Disney Princess albums of the 2000s. From 1992 to 2011, she was the official voice of Barbie for Mattel and Pixar for projects such as Toy Story and Dance Workout with Barbie, until the role was actually taken over by Kate Higgins, starting with the life in the series Life in the Dream House. So not only is she the voice of Ariel, but she's, you know. The voice of Barbie. So, you know, just the voice of my childhood. Yeah, literally. I'm like, oh, (laughs) so a very impactful voice here. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no wonder hearing her talk makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just like inner childhood memories are activated. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she's still busy being Ariel. This is another one goes back very far. The main story that it comes from is Undyne by Frederick de la Motor Folk in 1811, which is the story of water spirit who wants to gain a human soul, marries a knight in order to try and get one. And then it was kind of this idea of like gaining a human soul through marriage to a human mm-hmm. that inspired Hans Christian Andersen in 1836 to write the little mermaid so in his story literally there's not a lot of differences they kept this one pretty close the idea in this story though is that they can't see above the water until their 15th birthday because it's like a custom and so she goes up to the rocks to view above the ocean and it describes you know that like iconic scene of her like laying on the rocks and the waves like crashing up behind her they said that the book actually very described a very similar scene so kind of cool that it goes clear back to the original story but she's laying out and looking and then the shipwreck happens she saves the prince and then returns to the sea but she's eager to go back and return to live with him but in the story she has a grandmother who explains that mermaids don't have souls and they become sea foam when they die but she's been told that the only way that she can gain a soul is to have a human man love and marry her and then a sea witch finds her gives her legs takes her voice just like the movie but instead of turning her into like a little snail if she doesn't get him to fall in love with her 
she'll turn into seafoam. However, this one's really sad because the prince doesn't fall in love with her. He marries a princess from another land mm. and the Little Mermaid sisters actually come in and make a deal for their hair with the sea witch to give the Little Mermaid back her tail. And the result is a dagger that if the Little Mermaid uses it to kill the prince, it will give her back her tail, but she can't do it because she loves him so much, even though he's going to marry another woman. And so she throws herself off the ship that they are on for the prince's marriage and she turns into sea foam. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I forgot how sad this story was originally. It's so tragic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really, really tragic. Her sisters end up like catching the sea foam she turns into and they like say that through her good deeds and love she can earn her own human soul and has 300 years to do so. Hmm, okay. I, I don't know where it goes from there, but tragic right Mm -hmm. like not a happy ending at all so it's just really sad but yeah that's the original story obviously they just changed it to have the happy happy ending ending. yeah does fall in love with her and she doesn't turn into a sea foam and and all is well throw herself off a ship but kind of a bummer that the sisters don't get to come in and be like a hero of some kind so i know The the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand next person is Belle, Beauty and the Beast, Paige O'Hara. She was born May 10th of 1956. She was born in Florida, Lauderdale, Florida, and she got her star in children's theater. But it wasn't until she was 12 that she developed an interest in singing, where she then enrolled into art school. She actually made her first appearance on the Broadway stage. I think that's pretty common for a lot of these Disney princesses as they start as Broadway actors. And Which I just kind of makes sense. Yeah, I was going like, to say that makes sense to me. Singing is so important. Yeah. Uh-huh, exactly. And she started... In the revival of Showboat, other stage credits she has is in The Mystery of Edwin Drood. She actually was also in Oklahoma. And in 1995, she joined the Broadway production of Les Miserables, where she played the role of Fontaine, which is really cool. Iconic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She also was in South Pacific. Also in April 2011, she played the role of Judy Garland in From the Gum to Garland, Judy, the musical, which is cool because she cites Judy Garland as like definitely a inspiration about Beauty and the Beast. So she was a longtime fan of Walt Disney and she auditioned for Beauty and the Beast at the age of 35 after actually reading about the film in the New York Times. She was critically acclaimed at that time for both her speaking and singing voices in the film and also for her unique tone that she brought to Belle. And people noticed the fact that she was a big Judy Garland fan. I guess I could see that. I've never even thought about that before, but it is there. Yeah, I can totally hear it too. And I never really thought that. According to Beauty and the Beast filmmaker, her voice had a similar tone to that of Judy Garland and that's what pretty much like partially won her the role like they really liked that it sounded like Judy Garland and she played Belle in pretty much all of the Beauty and the Beast sequels and spinoffs which I think is really cool I like it when they like still you know stay the voice I, I think it's really cool when they like make an effort to make it the same voice actress I also feel like it's a sign that they kind of love being that character yeah because mm-hmm. obviously like they could turn down the sequels like I don't think they have them sign like a a yeah. contract like Marvel does. You know? mm-hmm. I think it's so, cute. Yeah, it's cute. 
because it, it also includes video games. Like whenever there was a yeah. bell, it, it was her voice. She was awarded with the Disney Legend Award in 2011. Actually, though, in 2011, she was replaced by Julie Nathanson as the voice of Belle due to her voice changing significantly over the course of, I mean, obviously 20 years, her voice will <laughs> change a little bit. blame her. Yeah. But what I think is so cute is she still paints Belle for Disney fine art and also like will still continue to do promotional appearances for Belle, for Disney. She, in 2016, she appeared at numerous special screenings of Beauty and the Beast and she actually was able to reprise her role as Belle in Ralph Breaks the Internet with the scene cute. that we mentioned. And then she appeared as a librarian in the TV special Beauty and the beast a 30th celebration so that's adorable i think it's really sweet that bell even if she wasn't like the official voice of bell bell was dear to her heart <laughs> yes i love that so much i had no idea that this story was real and this is probably the craziest one for me so the story of beauty and the beast is actually based on a true story oh a lot less magical like many of those we covered mm -hmm. but there was a man named petrus gonsalves who had the genetic condition known as hypertrichosis okay or ambra syndrome it's the one where hair like an abnormal amount of hair just grows all over your body mm -hmm. if you okay. think of like the greatest showman you know like the dogman yeah. guy uh -huh. that they have it's that. And this happens regardless of race, age, gender, anything. Like it just, some people just have it. Mm -hmm. In his case, it ended up affecting his entire body. It's also informally known as like werewolf syndrome because yeah, it looks like a mythical werewolf. That's not very nice. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that like affects them is the excessive hair growth. That's it. Like mm. no other defaults. Nothing like that. And it does not mean that you have like a huge oversized body with huge muscles like the beast. But he was born on the Canary Islands of Tenerife, the largest of Spain's several islands off of the coast of West Africa. And they treated him as a very like uncivilized curiosity, like a wild man. They ended up putting him in an iron cage and then gave him raw meat <gasps> and animal feed. Like oh. treated him like an animal. Mm -hmm. And then he was shipped to King Henry II of France as a gift for his coronation, what? which is disgusting. So yeah, yeah, that was 1547. Fortunately, the king saw him as a human and not a freak and decided that he wanted to try and educate him. It was like his own little pet project, I guess. So he's like, hey, he seems pretty calm. He doesn't seem like a beast. Like, let's make him into a gentleman. Mm -hmm. So he kept his birth name, but then gave him clothes, cooked him meals, and taught him to speak, read, and write in three languages. And he received the education of a nobleman. Wow. And the royal court were really impressed, and his social status rose. But a lot of people still viewed him as less than human. Which I'm like, come on. But then I also realized that we've treated other races as mm -hmm. less than human for a really long time. So it's it's not surprising, even though it's horrible. What ended up happening after that, King Henry II, who was kind of his champion, ended up passing away in a jousting tournament. And his mm -hmm. wife, the queen, Catherine de Medici, she became the ruler and she decided she wanted to try her own experiment and see what would happen if this beast-like man married a beautiful woman oh so she arranged this marriage and found a wife named Catherine, who was the daughter of a royal court servant and she had them get married they met for the first time on their wedding day and they ended up having seven children together four of them suffered from their father's condition wow and that of course delighted the queen because she was like wow we made little beasts yeah 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 she called them like a wild family 
so they toured European countries for quite a while, ended up settling in Parma, Italy, where they were employed, a.k.a. owned by the Duke Renuccio Farnese. And the Duke commissioned several paintings of the family. What's actually really sad is none of the three unaffected children were included in the family portrait because they were like, oh, you're not cool enough. That's gross. I mean, it's gross on both sides of it, you know? Yeah. And then what's even grosser is that the four of the seven children that were affected were actually sent away as gifts to become like pets of the upper class mm-hmm. because it was considered like an honor to have like an oddity of some kind. Like, yeah, even back, they were fascinated by like peacocks and elephants mm-hmm. and everything. So like stuff like that was just like something they wanted to have. Gross. But that was a very widely known story because of their tour throughout Europe and, you know, how crazy it was to have, like, this man covered in hair that was married to this, like, gentleman's daughter. And so that's what they believe inspired Gabriel Suzanne Barbeau de Villeneuve, there we go, of her 1740 French fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. And that's what the films are based on. And what's funny is also they were geared towards young women, the story. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so very fitting that it became a Disney princess story as well. But isn't that crazy that that's, that's a actually real? Story. Yeah, I had no idea that that was, yeah. I, I know. know. I didn't either. It was like, wait, what? This isn't just some fairy tale. This is like a full-on horror story of history, which we find so many of. So, damn, that's horrible. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate the Disney version. I think it's a much more beautiful it's tale. It's nice. I it like is that. obviously not even close to the original. So yeah, not even close. Okay, well, Jasmine. So Jasmine is one of two of these princesses where the speaking voice and the singing voice are played by different people. So Jasmine, the speaking voice, was played by Linda Larkin, who is best known, I think, for yeah, for her role as Aladdin. She began her career in 1990. There was a film called Zapped Again as Joanne. I've never heard of Zapped Again. Don't know if you have. She became the voice of Princess Jasmine, though, in 1992. In order for her to voice Princess Jasmine, actually, what I thought was interesting is Disney required her to lower her voice as it was otherwise too high for the role, which, like, partly confuses me because I'm like, why not just get a different person? But, like, not to take that away from Linda Larkin, but yeah, you know what I really mean. interesting. Especially because a lot of the Disney princesses had really high voices. Exactly. Trying something new. But she reprised the role as Jasmine in the sequels and other various forms of media including the return of Jafar king of thieves as well as in the television series which I think is cool and even in like kingdom hearts and Disney infinity video games which I think is fun for her work at Disney she was honored as a Disney legend on August 19th of 2011 this is a quote from her she said Aladdin was my first big job and it definitely opened a lot of doors for me I think being the voice of Princess Jasmine has given me an extra advantage in getting some of the jobs I've had although sometimes they find out about me being Princess Jasmine after they've hired me and that's always fun (laughs) which I think is like crazy to be like by the way you know one of the most iconic Disney characters of all time that's me another thing she said is that I've always believed that if you have a wish, then you also have the power to make it come true, which feels very Disney. Yes. I'm like, (laughs) wait a minute. That's a quote. That is very cute. As for the singing voice for Jasmine, so it's Thalia Salonga. She's a Filipina singer, actress, columnist, and producer, nicknamed Pride of the Philippines. Spoiler alert for later on in the episode, she actually is also the singing voice of Mulan, which is something that I never put together, that... Jasmine and Mulan. They sound so different. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously she was really characterizing her voice, which yeah. is really cool. But now I like want to go back and like listen to I them know. back to back. I'm like, am I missing something? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking too. <laughs> but she's best known for her roles in musical theater along with obviously these pretty iconic Disney princess roles. At the age of 18, she rose to international recognition when she originated the lead role of Kim in the musical Miss Saigon in the West End, which is really cool. And she ended up reprising the role on Broadway. She won the Drama Desk Award, Outer Critics Circle Award, and Theater Worlds Awards before making history as the first, before making history as the first Asian actress to win a Tony Award and the second youngest actress to win for Best Before performance by a leading actress in a musical. So before she was even cast in these Disney princess moves, she's the first Asian woman to win a Tony, which is incredible. She was also the first actress of Asian descent to play the roles of Eponine and Fantine in Les Mis, which is really cool. And she's portrayed both of those characters in the musical's 10th and 25th anniversary concerts in London. I think I've seen her as Eponine. That's what I was like. Wait a minute. I think I have too, which is really cool. Yeah. Or yeah, it would have been Eponine. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. Uh, yeah 1991 so still before she was cast as jasmine she was named one of people's magazine's 50 most beautiful people she's Um, gorgeous so then in 1992 she was casted as jasmine and 93 she performed the song a whole new world from aladdin with brad kane at the 65th annual academy awards in los angeles where the song won an oscar which is really cool which part of me is like i know the singers don't get an oscar for that but that's kind of lame because I think especially when it's in a movie like the performance is so crucial that I know it just goes to the composers and stuff but mm, they should change that but after that she released albums she went on to voice Mulan and also provide the singing voice in Milan too. She's performed like sold out shows at Carnegie Hall, which is just really cool. And she's still working. As of 2022, she was casted in the acclaimed series Pretty Little Liars Original Sin, the new HBO one, as like a main actress on that, which is really cool. And then in the same month, July of 2022, she was recognized by Time Magazine at the Time 100 Impact Awards for being a lifelong role model for children of color. I think it's really cool. Like as of last year, she's cast in a leading role in an HBO series. So she's still going, still doing cool stuff. It's really cool, too, that like Disney found an Asian actress to like sing Jasmine and Mulan. Like they obviously didn't have to do that because it's an animated character. Like people couldn't see it with their eyes and know it was like wrong. But I think that that's like really cool. They didn't do that with her Jasmine speaking voice. I know, but at least they did it with the singing voice. At least they tried to like, yeah, have it be. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like the right country, right nationality, but like, hey, you know. Yeah. It was closer. (laughs) Closer. Okay, so Aladdin and Jasmine is a 18th century tale that was actually a part of the Middle Eastern folk tales known as the 1000 Days and one nights 1001 nights yes that's that collection of tales if you don't know the premise of that book basically there's this king he's really bitter because his wife is unfaithful and he decides that all women are the same and so every single night he takes a virgin bride and then the following day he executes her before she has a chance to cheat on him (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) very benevolent so he's just awful right 
But then Scheherazade volunteers to be the monster's bride, something that no one's done because you're basically volunteering to die. Mm-hmm. And on their first and supposedly last wedding night, she tells an enchan- enchanting story and then stops on a cliffhanger saying she'll continue the following night. Ah. So he doesn't execute her. And this goes on for a thousand and one nights. I don't know if it ends then, like if he kills her, or if then he's like, no, you're not like other women. And, and here you are to stay. But yeah. But anyway, they tell stories for A Thousand and One Nights. So it's tales. There's a different one every night. And Aladdin, along with Alibaba, are actually two of the only tales that weren't a part of the initial Arabic text. They're considered like orphan tales because they were added later Mm. with an addition with a French translator who claims that he got the story from a Syrian man. So, you know, who knows exactly where all of this came from, but they think it came from a guy in Syria named Diab who had a very similar rags to riches story like Aladdin wanted to be a part of the upper echelons of society and it ended up happening for him because he was pulled into this quest for treasure, you know, a whole thing. And that's where the story of Aladdin comes from. I did not know that. I've heard of like the thousand and one nights before, you know, I've Mm -hmm. just like heard that referenced, but... That's cool. Yeah. What's kind of funny is actually in early European adaptations of the story, Aladdin was actually Chinese. Oh. And that was like pretty common. British stage productions even set it in China. But Disney modeled it off of the movie The Thief of Baghdad in 1940. And they wanted it to take place in a fictional Middle Eastern city. I think they thought maybe like the lamp Mm-hmm. and the uh, genies and everything kind of fit more of the arabian setup yeah mm-hmm. so that's what they went for but in the original story he actually has two genies and gets one from a lamp and one from a ring and then has like three villains he faces off against instead of jafar three times <laughs> including one who whisks jasmine away to northern africa the sultan gets mad at aladdin at some point and even tries to behead him and oh. towards the end aladdin sabotages jasmine's wedding to another man by kidnapping the groom and holding him in a dark cell until the marriage is annulled interesting yeah pretty different well, there we go. So the next Disney princess is Pocahontas, which I mean, I'm sure you'll cover this, but that is based off of a true story. And this movie does not so accurately capture it. And it's a pretty problematic movie now. But, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's still beautiful. I have to say, like, Visually, the colors, the music. It's beautiful. The You're character right. of Pocahontas. There are great things about this film, but I'm also pretty sure if you push play on Disney Plus, There is something that pops up that says, sorry, (laughs) this is offensive. (laughs) They could have done better. Yes. But this is the same situation where there is a speaking and singing voice. Irene Bedard is an American actress who actually has mostly played lead Native American roles, which is really cool. And she was the speaking voice of Pocahontas. She was born in Alaska. She is in Inupiat and a French-Canadian Cree heritage, which is and an enrolled member of the native village of Koyok in Alaska. She actually attended the University of Arts in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she studied musical theater. She appeared in her first role as Mary Crow Dog in the television production of Lakota Woman, Siege at Wounded Knee, which depicted the 1970 standoff between the U.S. government and citizens of several native nations, including the Pine Ridge Reservation at Wounded Knee, South Dakota. For this role, she was actually nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a miniseries or television film, which 
which is really cool like her very first role and she's nominated for a golden globe and she's probably best known though for the voice of pocahontas and she was also in the sequel pocahontas 2 and she also was the voice in ralph breaks the internet which same thing where it's like it makes me happy when they want to come back and play these roles again i mean granted maybe it's just because she was getting a lot of money but i'm gonna have a very like disney perspective that it's because she felt very wholesome about it (laughs) i am too i feel like it's a very little a little magical thing we can just pretend Yeah, even if it's not true. But she actually appeared in a different take of the story in Terrence Malick's 2005 film, The New World, as Pocahontas' mother, which is, I think, really cool. 1995, she was chosen as one of People's Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. So that's fun. And she's been working in a lot of other things. And actually, in 2022, she was cast as Yagoda in the upcoming Netflix series, of avatar the last airbender that they're doing which i'm personally fan of that i watched that during quarantine 2020 oh it's so good it is so good and i know the movie sucked so maybe the netflix series will be better and she'll be the grandma grandma. that's cute Mm -hmm. i know and then judy coon was the singing voice for pocahontas she's an american actress singer and activist known for her work in musical theater she's a four-time tony award nominee which is really crazy and she has released four studio albums and sang the title role for pocahontas where her rendition of the song colors of the wind won its composers the academy award for best original song so same thing with a part of your world where it's like oh i wish she could have gotten the oscar too because obviously like i said the performance sells it i think but she made her professional stage debut in 1981 where she was in the mystery of edwin drood she played cosette in les mis in 1987 that's what i was thinking too is i i wonder if any of them were together and acted together in those roles because that'd be really cool but she was in a musical chess and then in she loves me and for all three of them she received tony award nominations which is really cool and then she received her fourth tony nomination in 2015 for her role in helen bechtel in the original broadway production of fun home lots of lots of awards she's gotten a lot of (laughs) awards basically and a lot of nominations for her work on broadway and yeah so amazing and that's what i think is cool is like as early as 2015 so she's still working and still doing amazing things so shout out to judy coon Like you kind of mentioned, Pocahontas was a real person. She was actually the favorite daughter of Powhatan, the formidable ruler of more than 30 Algonquin-speaking tribes in and around the area that was later known as Jamestown, Virginia. So what's kind of where it gets murky Mm -hmm. is years later, so like way after he visited the Americas, John Smith wrote about this story. And so... They put, like, after no one was able to dispute the facts. Yeah. Which I think is, like, a way of putting it to be, like, we're not entirely sure. Like, I guess it could have been true, but, like, probably not. But he wrote about how Pocahontas, like, this beautiful daughter of a powerful native leader, rescued him, an English adventurer, from being executed by her father. Mm. It's a beautiful little story. (laughs) It makes it seem really pretty. You know, I think there's a lot of, like, Romeo and Juliet connotations going on that people really like. With, like, Pocahontas turning her back on her people and allying with the English, you know, like, people were on board with that. And they thought that this, like, kind of ended disputes between the two because they, like, found common ground. And Mm -hmm. obviously this legend has endured for literally centuries. Yeah. But her life was really different. First off, like, she was, like, 11 or 12 when he was there. So there was no romance happening. (laughs) 
I mean, I hope not. Yeah. No. Like, yeah, she was really young. And we don't even know if she rescued him at all or if it was like a misinterpretation of like a ritual ceremony. Or maybe he was just like, this is going to be a great story. Yeah. Because actually, there is a popular Scottish ballad called Lord Bateman and the Turkish King's Daughter. Oh. And literally, I read the synopsis of that story. And it's Mm -hmm. this guy walks in, meets a powerful ruler and his daughter and they have darker skin so they're Mm -hmm. like unique and everything and he's sentenced to execution by the king and the daughter saves him and then he goes back to his own land and he's set to marry this other girl who's like fair skinned yeah but the turkish daughter like the turkish princess was so in love with him from their meeting that she follows him back to his original land and he ends up dropping the girl he's betrothed to and marrying her So similar things there. They think that he probably got the story from there. But what I wanted to point out is that there's actually like a lot of effort being made now to tell like the true and accurate story of Pocahontas Mm -hmm. and specifically the Pamunkey tribe of Virginia that are her descendants. She was known to be like a very rambunctious, free-spirited teenage girl. But she grew up to be like a very clever and brave young woman. She served as a translator, ambassador, and leader in her own right during this huge phase of like European takeover. Yeah. So she was like an incredible figure within like Native American history and like very well deserved to have like her own story told. So like highly recommend. Okay, like, that is cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. like go find out stuff about her. Like it's nice that her name is famous even if the story is false. Does that you make sense? What? Yeah, I am. I agree with that. That it's like, yeah. sure, there are certain aspects of that movie that are regarded as offensive and rightfully so, but it's like, it is really cool that the name Pocahontas is famous and that there's like little girls who want to be Pocahontas for Halloween and like it's immediately recognizable and it is probably a lot because of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. And I like, I kind of consider this the age of like racial diversity for Disney. Like Mm. they bring out Jasmine and she did so well that they were like, okay, like we have a demographic here we're not tapping into. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, oh, let's do like a Native American princess. And for them to do that, like as early as they did, like even though did they do it right? No. No. But like they were trying to like have some diversity in their characters long before that was even really considered as important as it is now. Yeah, that's true. So, like, I appreciate the effort. Like, they were misguided, but, like, once again, a lot of these people didn't know the education, like, aspect of it that we know now. Yeah. So, I appreciate the the effort Mm -hmm. (laughs) that they made, (laughs) even though there was some major problems with that effort. But it's still, like, a beautiful thing that we have, like, a Native American Disney princess. And hopefully they can find a way to, like, do a live action story or something that'll be a little bit more. That would actually be a live action I'd like to see. Same. Because yeah. they could really do a lot with it. I don't want to see all the Disney live actions that they're doing. I, I would skip like to see. <laughs> yeah, I think I only watched like this original Cinderella one. That one yeah. was pretty. But I would love to see Pocahontas, especially because I think they could actually do some good with it, and they could hire like some actual Native American actors and actresses, and like mm-hmm. really do something cool. True. So. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, last but certainly not least is no, Mulan. Even. And I mentioned who was the singing voice behind Mulan earlier because it was the same as Jasmine. But Mulan was voiced by Ming Mingna Wen, and she was born November twentieth, nineteen sixty three. She was actually born on one of the two 
main islands of Macau. Her mother moved there in the 1960s from China, and her father is of Malaysian Chinese descent. And when her parents divorced, when she was just an infant, she and her brother and her mom, they moved to Hong Kong, where she attended a Catholic school while I guess her mother was like working, held down three jobs to provide for them. Her mother remarried to a Chinese American, Su Yim Lee. And when Wen was just four years old, the family moved to New York City. After five years of being there, they moved again to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she was raised in the suburb of Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and then after she graduated high school, she went to university at Carnegie Mellon University. She actually got her first television role, and it was as a royal trumpeter in the children's television series, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. I loved that series. Mm-hmm. I It brought me joy that that was her first yeah. role. She had other roles during that time. She starred in the movie, The Joy Luck Club. She also was in the TV series ER. Then she provided the voice of the title character in the 1998 animated film Mulan, as well as went on to be the voice of in Mulan 2 and Kingdom Hearts 2, where she won an Annie Award. Annie Awards is Outstanding Achievement for Voice Acting in a Feature Production. So she won that award for her work in Mulan, which is a great movie. What's cool is she is still in pretty major things. So she starred as Agent Melinda May in the ABC superhero drama series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And then December 7th of 2017, Marvel launched a new animation film franchise called Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, where she voiced Hala the Accuser. And then she also reprised the role of Mulan and Ralph Breaks the Internet. In 2019, it was announced that Wen would be a cast member of the Star Wars TV series, The Mandalorian, playing Fennec Shand. Do you watch The Mandalorian? I watched the first season. Yeah, me too. I only think I watched like the first season and a half. So I don't yeah, think so I'm like, she was in that. I mean, well, 2019. 2019, that would have been. Oh, her. Yes, yeah. I remember. I was like, That's I think cool. we would have seen her. Yeah. Yeah. So she was in The Mandalorian, which is cool. But now I know really that cool. was Mulan. And then she also reprised the role in Star Wars, The Bad Batch and the live action series, The Book of Boba Fett. So she now has like a reoccurring role as a Star Wars character, which Disney is- loves her. They're like, put her in Marvel, put her in Star Wars. Keep that's her what, on Disney. That's what like- I was thinking. They're like, put her. She's cool. She's obviously very well known for her work with Disney. I love this quote. There's a WDW magazine writer, Aaron Widmer, called Wen an incredibly talented Chinese actress who also has had a remarkable career that seems to only gain steam as it progresses, which is a rarity in Hollywood. He went on to say that she has broken through barriers of Asian performers, and she was named a Disney legend at the 2019 D23 Expo for her outstanding contributions to the Disney company. So of all the ones we were covering today, I mean, obviously she was also the most recent to play the Disney princess, but she was coined a Disney legend in 2019. So I thought that was fun. Those might be some of my favorite movies. Me too. (laughs) Have you seen the second one? Of Mulan? Yeah. Yeah, I love the second Mulan. It has one of the most underrated musical numbers. Mm-hmm. It's the I want to be like other girls with the Empress yes. Three Daughters. I love those characters. It's one of the cutest songs, in mm-hmm. my opinion, throughout all of Disney movies. And like no one knows it because so many people didn't watch that movie. I loved those cheaper Disney sequels that never made it to theaters. That's what I watched on repeat. Same. As a child. The Little Mermaid 2. She has a daughter named Melody. 
Cinderella 2 and Cinderella 3. Oh, Amazing. Cinderella 2 is great. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and Cinderella 3. They're wonderful. So I'm sure they're all on Disney+. Plus. If you never watched those and you like love the original Disney movies, like go check them out. Like they're so worth it. Those are my depression movies. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> they're effective. I love that. <laughs> that makes perfect I'm sense. I'm like, yes, I know they're on Disney+. Plus. I've watched oh, them. <laughs> What's very fitting actually for the latest Disney princess is the earliest folktale. <laughs> oh, that is cool, actually. Yeah. How Mulan's, they kept her name. She's a folk heroine from the Northern and Southern dynasties, fourth to sixth century of Chinese history. It's pretty much a very similar story. She took her father's place in the army conscription by disguising herself as a man. And mm-hmm. then after long, distinguished military service, Obviously, it went on for much longer in the folktale, like literal years, (laughs) against these nomadic hordes of people beyond the northern frontier. She's honored by the emperor, declines a position of high office, retires to her homeland, and it's not until she's back home with her family that she reveals her gender. And I literally read in the thing that they like, she dresses up in her dress and then she's back in the mirror like doing combs in her hair oh yeah Mm -hmm. and like the warriors who worked with her like look in on the window and see her and they're like wait what she's (laughs) a woman (laughs) like whoa (laughs) and her comrades are like so confused because they're like what the heck they consider her to be a fictional character scholars do as much as they can tell Mm -hmm. the first record written of her is actually a song called the ballad of mulan that's like this folk song from the northern way dynasty Mm -hmm. back in like 386 ce yeah or there's different tales throughout anthology of books and they even included her name in there's this book called 100 beauties from china and her name is included in that mm-hmm. but it's like a compilation of various women in chinese folklore so like women who have believed to have been the most beautiful throughout all of chinese folklore oh cool but her name wasn't included in the exemplary woman collection of biographies from the northern wei dynasty that was like real women So they're pretty sure she's fake. They think the like message behind it, there's like the analogy they have where like men, male hairs, like rabbits, tend to have longer strides and women hairs tend to squint when they run. But when both of them are going fast and next to each other at high speeds, no one can tell the difference. So that's Mm. kind of the idea behind it is that like, in battle, it doesn't really matter if you're a man or a woman, I guess. Okay. Or, like, in times of stress, I mean, it doesn't I can, really matter. I mean, I mean, granted, like, physically, <laughs> I personally, <laughs> yeah. I'm useless as an individual. But mm-hmm. I appreciate the sentiment of yeah. the story. And it's interesting. It. Like, it seems very progressive for ancient mm-hmm. China. But, I mean, yeah, yeah it's got to be probably my favorite folk legend out of all of them that we've covered like there's nothing like morbid or like freaky about it it's literally just like a woman who goes to war to protect her aging father yeah I think it's the most feminist for Mm -hmm. sure so yeah I have like a major soft spot in my heart for Mulan I think it's a wonderful story plus I think she has the most attractive Disney prince oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
and i love that for her (laughs) also reflection beautiful song and some of the lines like i probably quote mulan more than any other movie it's a great movie (laughs) especially like mushu and like just love this movie so much it's very good dishonor on you dishonor on your cow (laughs) or the grandma at the end would you like to stay forever That is very nice. I love that movie. It's just a good one. I think it's probably like The Little Mermaid is always going to be my favorite Disney princess. But I Mm -hmm. think like my favorite movie out of all the ones we've talked about as an adult for sure is 100% Mulan. That is very fair. Well, just to give you the names for the remaining Disney princesses, Rapunzel is played by Mandy Moore, Tiana by Annika Nani Rose. That's one of my favorite Disney movies. Merida is Kelly McDonald. Anna, Anna, oh my gosh, Anna, (laughs) who am I? Anna is done by Kristen Bell, Elsa Edina Menzel, and then Moana is Ali Cravalho, which fun fact about her is she was literally 14 years old. She's still really young. I guess I should also shout out Ryan the Last Dragon. Who, do you know who does that? Is it Kelly Marie Tran, right? Yes, Kelly Marie Chan is the voice of Raya. I haven't seen that movie yet, honestly. I should. Now that I know she's especially considered. It's good. It's good. There's no singing once again. I think she'll only be the second one. But it's it's a really cute movie. But oh, but you're right. Okay, I'll watch it. Plus, of course, there's ones we haven't covered like Meg and. um, Yeah, there's so many just like Disney heroines. Agreed. So if you want, like. A part two, just let us know. We'll probably There's do so it anyway. Many <laughs> Disney heroines to pull from. Yeah. I learn think about it would the be women fun. behind them. Cool. Well, a longer episode today, but I liked reliving my childhood for it. So thanks for Same. being here. <laughs> and now I need to go on like a whole Disney princess movie binge and watch all of them, right? That's kind of what yeah. I'm like. Mm, might watch Cinderella 2 tomorrow. Who knows? anyways thanks for being here if you're new here hi follow us on instagram we're gonna have some cute content this week i can promise you and leave us a review share with your favorite disney friend if you yourself are a disney adult i promise you have a safe space here yeah we won't Um, judge you share it with your fellow disney adults and we can all just feel some joy together talking about the disney princesses cute childhood is fun to relive i love Mm -hmm. it exactly cool Well, be back next Monday. Yes. Bye. Bye.